invite you to take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read uh, not the entire chapter, but go back and review a little bit of chapter 1, and then read uh, some excerpts from chapter 2 so we can get an idea of what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. But first, let me say this, one of the key principles that we talk about here at Heritage Baptist Church over and over again is that whenever we are in the Bible, no matter if it's Old or New Testament, we really do expect Jesus to show up. I'm not talking about here literally physically. I'm talking about we expect Him to be revealed in the Scriptures. Jesus reminded a group of religious people, he said, look, you guys, you know the Scriptures, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life. But remember, it's these, and he was referring specifically to the Old Testament, it's these Scriptures that speak about me. So we will come back at the conclusion of this message, much like we did last week, and show that not only was Nehemiah an exemplary person and leader, and we're going to gain some insight from that, but also that he points us beautifully to Jesus Christ. But before we get there, let's discover several things from the life of this man that you and I need to apply to our lives. And whatever it is right now that you and I are going through. I always want these messages to have a right nowness to them. And I can't give enough illustrations or examples, but the Holy Spirit can always arrest you right where you are, whatever it is that you're struggling with. And we can see that in Scripture there will be answers for many, many of those things. We're going to be talking about having a burden, a burden for the work. What work? Well, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find that he had a burden for the rebuilding of the walls and the gates in Jerusalem. But could it be that we also need to apply that to whatever is going on in your life right now? Could it be that there is a relationship somewhere in this auditorium where the walls need to be rebuilt, the walls of protection and security? Could it be in a child or a parent relationship? Could it be in work? Could it be at the church? The list could go on and on, and the answer is always Yes. And so what I encourage you to do, as I do every Sunday, is look for a place in your life. Please do this right now. Look for a place in your life where something is broken. And then ask yourself, what am I going to do about it? What can I do about it? I believe this message today will give you answers from a man who lived 2,400 years ago. 
Now, you won't understand the story of Nehemiah or chapter 2 that we're in today without going back and reviewing, so that's what we're going to do. You do have your Bibles open, don't you, or your smart devices, there you go, and you're at Nehemiah 2. Let me invite you to back up to chapter 1, just scroll back a little bit, slide your finger back, and let's stand together as we read the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Helkiah. Now it happened, this is important because we're going to come to chapter 2 and see something that is actually startling. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that is, of Persia, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped those who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem, those who had gone back with Zerubbabel and with Ezra, and they were back in Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for these people of Israel, your servants. And the next few verses are just the, the prayer that he actually prays. Slide down to the very last verse in chapter 1 and the last part of that verse, which is also very important for our understanding. He says, he, just almost a throwaway statement now, I was cupbearer to the king, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine, remember he was the cupbearer, and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. This is amazing. The king said to me, and he saw something different, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Let me just stop there and, and say that in those days, you, you lived to make the king happy. And if you didn't make the king happy, no matter how close you were to the king, you could be taken away and your head could be chopped off. So Nehemiah had some real concern going on there. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what can I do for you? What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Ju Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Then I came to the governor's, we're going to drop down to verse 9, okay? He gets everything supplied by the king. Verse 9 says this, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, that's another name for Jerusalem in, in Judea, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, 
the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And I told them, he's speaking now in verse 18, drop down to that. I told them, he's speaking to his kinsmen, the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words of the king that had spoken to me and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work, verse 19. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Father, I pray now, give wisdom and insight and application to what we are about to study out of Nehemiah chapter 2. We will give you glory and praise for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back. You read a little bit of this. Last week we saw that Nehemiah was raised up by God for this particular time and for this particular mission. Go back to verse 1, some of his brothers had come with the news that his people, the family of God, were in bad shape. Basically, what they were saying was that they were unprotected. They were vulnerable to the vicious attacks of their enemies. And, And for several weeks now, as I've studied this, and I've tried to wrap my my mind around it, my emotions around it, I've been stunned by how the response of Nehemiah, I shared this last week, is in reality so unlike mine. I, I've, again, I've really had to do some soul searching. I'm not saying this for you, I'm saying it for me. Now, I want you to see that he is not burdened for the nations around him, okay? He is not burdened for the nation in which he is now living, in Persia. He is burdened for a group of people, the people of God, his brothers and sisters, who are are about 800 miles away, and he is so burdened that he goes to the Lord in this intense prayer that God would be glorified again in his people and that good would come to his people. This awareness led him to do something. And the powerful application to me was he, he cared And I thought about the church around the world. I thought about the church in, in our country, in our culture, in America. And, and I, I see, like Nehemiah heard about, I see that the gates, to a great degree, have been burned down. Now remember, gates protection. Uh, walls protection. Gates were what you came in and out of. And I see that happening around me. And I ask the question, am I really that burdened for what I see happening around me? Or am I just concerned for me 
and for my church here. And, and that's appropriate. I should be. But there is a sense in which I should be deeply burdened for people that are not physically present, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I don't even know. And the first thing he did is the first thing that I ought to do, but I think it's the first thing that we ought to do. Now, here's an outline, and you, you can write above your, your worship guide in, in the the space is just right there in that first space. Uh, write, write these words. They kind of alliterate, and we're going to go through the, the outline in just a minute. But, but here's the application, the overall application that I came up with. Having a burden for the work of God means that I'm going to die to myself and live for Christ in, number one, write this word just in that first little space. I'm going to die to self and live for God in prayer, right prayer. We talked a little bit about this last week, the importance of prayer. Now, obviously, you're, you're going to start the only place you really can start, and that's in your own life before you can do anything else. So that's the first thing. And then put a, another P word just below that in the, in the space below that under the first point, patience. We're going to learn that he was a patient man. He waited on God. And we need to learn to wait on God. Patience. And then under, in that third space, write the word people. Because Nehemiah, after spending a lot of time with God in prayer, dealt with people, particularly the king and others as well, in the way that he should have. And then under that last line, in that last space, if you're taking notes, if you're not, I know that that, I said this this morning in ABF, that steel trap mind of yours will remember the things that I'm sharing with you. Right under that one, persecution. So we're going to be talking about prayer again, going back and reminding ourselves about the importance of prayer. We're going to be talking about patience. We're going to be talking about people. And we're going to be talking about persecution. Now, couple of things. Let me, let me just uh, break this down if I can. Is it a good thing for Christians to have walls? Hmm. Okay. Study this a little bit, and I'm going to say first no, and then I'm going to come back and say yes. Here's why I'm saying it that way. Sometimes walls can be negative, all right? Sometimes walls are a picture of the fact that you are imprisoned. Walls can be a picture of division, not only between people and God, but between people and people. I want you to go back to the very beginning, the, the garden. And when Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, in a sense, a wall was put up between them and God. Now, it, it was in the form of, a, uh, of a, an angel with a sword that kept them from coming back into the garden. But there was this incredible 
separation. They were walled off, listen to me, they were walled off from God and they were walled off from each other because of sin. Look, look at a couple of verses that uh, tell us about this. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Now, for those of you who are in Christ today, and we always, we're, we're, we're preaching, we're, we're teaching to those who know Christ first, but inevitably, there are those in this room today, uh, you, you may know that you don't know Christ. Or you might be like Gabe in his testimony. I, Gabe, thank you for sharing that because I am absolutely convinced that there are people in the best, most conservative churches who've gone to church all of their life, but whatever they did back whenever they did it, they did not truly become born again. They were not converted in their heart to turn away from sin and to turn by faith to Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah, all the way back in the New Testament, says this, your iniquities have made a wall. They've made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And there could be someone with a wall, and maybe today God would open your eyes. The Holy Spirit would show you that you know what? I, I've, been, I've just been a religious person. I've worked out these religious kinds of ideals. I don't care how old you are. Tom mentioned that a minute ago in the baptistry. It's a pretty good sermon, Tom. And the Holy Spirit, like Gabe said, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can turn that light on. And show you that there's been a separation between you and God and religion and becoming a Baptist and getting baptized and all the rest of that is just not going to cut it. But there's another kind of wall that I'm afraid even among Christians can exist in the best of churches. A brother offended is more unyielding than a walled city. Mm. Quarreling is like the bar's of a castle. You know where that begins? That, well, that begins with, with you, obviously. But, but this is a relational thing. So not only is the, the, the wall a negative kind of wall, it can be, it can be verti vertical, it can be between you and God, but once you become a Christian, that's solved forever. But not so with the horizontal walls. And I'm here to tell you that in every church that I've pastored, that there, is the, there, there are these walls, and many times we do not see them. You come in on a Sunday, and, and depending on the size of the church, the smaller a church is, the harder it is to hide. But there are the relational walls, inevitably, between husbands and wives. Marriages, family members, work, church, all of the rest of those kinds of things. Now, I, I want to jump forward, and, and this gives a little bit of a hint of what I want to say at the end, if I can get there. Jesus came to be our, our wall builder. But first he had to break down walls. You hear what I'm saying? 
So walls can be negative. First, he had to break down walls to build the wall of protection in your life and in the church's life, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that exists between you and God and that exists between people from different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile, and he's made us one in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're talking about when we speak of him being the ultimate wall builder. Now, he saw the problem. What's the first thing he did? What's the, what's the last thing we normally do? We norm, the, normally, the last thing we do is pray. We get busy. Don't just stand there. Do something. I think what Nehemiah said, don't just do something, stand there and pray and go to the Lord. And, and you saw that a minute ago, I hope, when I read it. It said that, it, that his prayer, and this is what blows me away, was weeping and mourning with praying and fasting for days. There was, there was an incredible intensity to his prayers that I'm asking the Lord to restore to my own prayers. I think that would be a good, a good thing for you to ask the Lord to do in your prayer life. I, I, I do, I, I want that, but it's so easy. Early in the morning, I've read the, the, the Bible reading. I've checked it off, checked a box. Okay? That's okay. That lets me know that I'm going on to the next part the next day. But then I open my prayer guide, and I don't want it to be just perfunctory. I don't want it to be just I'm going through this and checking a box. I want it to be this kind of prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He was deeply, deeply burdened. This was not cut and dried. I don't know. Maybe I need to just stop and let somebody get up here, really, that has the kind of prayer life that Nehemiah had. And I think he had it all the time. I, I, he saw this burden, and uh, he was intense. He was wrestling. I, I, I think it's the kind of prayer where you're, you're going along in life, and something happens. A loved one is diagnosed with cancer or worse, or they're in the hospital, or a child is so sick that they might die, then, then all of a sudden your prayer changes because the burden changes. It gets deeper. It gets more intense. And sometimes you fast simply because you can't eat. I don't know if it was this or something else that motivated him. But I was, I, was, I was looking at this whole issue this last week, and I wondered to myself, this is in the context of giving, but could it be, let's don't put works into this, or let's don't put the, the so-called prosperity movement into this, but, but could it be that this relates to the prayer life of the church today? Pastors, leaders, elders, church members who, who hear this kind of thing, the point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If we're sowing sparingly in our prayer life, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully.
I don't know. I just wondered to myself out loud this week, does that have anything to do with prayer? So Nehemiah didn't just believe that prayer was important. He believed that it was essential. His prayer was not a one and done. The reason that I went back and read chapter 1, verse 1, and then I compared it to chapter 2, verse 2, you see it again? It happened in the month of Cheslev. And then in chapter 2, it says in the month of Nisan, not the car. Now, I, I, I don't know what this looked like, but here's the time period that he fasted and wept and mourned and prayed. He did it for four months. I have no idea that he, okay, after four months it's going to be over with. I don't think he knew. But the one thing that he did know was that God is not in a hurry. He just wanted him to pray with patience. Look at the first part of your outline. Chapter 2, verse 1, and the first part of it. And that's how we know that he prayed for four months. There was an intensity to his prayer, but he also prayed for a long time. If you remember back, we read this just a few moments ago, he began by praising God. Always is before you ask anything, he praised God. For whom did Nehemiah work? Well, you, you anticipated the biblical answer. Because a lot of people would say he worked for the king. He worked for King Artaxerxes, yes, but he really worked for the king of kings. And so that, this question has to be asked in terms of our prayer life and our patience in our prayer. Do you? Who do you work for? Do you work for the king of kings? And remember... We've used this verse over and over again. Compared to the king of kings, King Artaxerxes was nothing. The most powerful king on the face of the earth. The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills to do. Now, I asked a minute ago, are there walls in your life? And probably the thing that is most hurtful with, with the majority of us in this room, you can go back to the past and you can, you can pull out some kind of an experience or you can look at the present or you can anticipate the future. And by far and away, the thing that causes most hurt is relational divisions. Now, I'm leaving this verse up here because I want to ask a question. Who can change the heart of another person? Well, you wouldn't think it. Talking to a lot of people, Tom said only God can. And that is the answer. That is the answer, and we know that. But to talk to many people today, here's what I hear. If I could only and then fill in the blank. If I could say these words, if I could get this situation to happen, then that person 
would change. It, it, and maybe he, God would use some of that. But in reality, only God can change another person's hearts, especially when that other person's walls, and I'm talking positive, the walls of protection against the enemy are broken down. Go to God with your problems. That's essentially what he's saying. Do what Nehemiah did. He not only praised God, but he, he entered into the plight of his people, if you remember back to last week, and he confessed, I, I'm a part of the problem. And then he waited for four months. You know, I've, I've always wondered when I read stories like this, uh, and if Nehemiah were like me, not you, but me, I wonder if he would have prayed with that fasting and prayer and lamenting and, and crying out to God, and he gets to the end of the day, and he says, okay, God, you going to hear me? You going to answer my prayer now? Because I'm not, I, I, I'll pray tomorrow, but I'm not sure I want to pray with that intensity, and I'm not sure really that I want to fast again. Four months passed. Apparently, nothing had happened. And I'll just ask you this. Has that ever been your experience? I'm not talking about four months, but maybe you have prayed. You've prayed for the salvation of a loved one, for a relational healing. And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed. Like Nehemiah did. You see, you're not alone in this. And that's why the Bible gives us pictures of a person like Nehemiah. He gives us other pictures. Remember, Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac. Joseph spent years in slavery in prison. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert before God called him. And for you younger uh, people here, David spent the majority of his 20s running from King Saul. And so here's the application to that. If you want to be used by God, learn to wait on him. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Prayer and patience always go together. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Don't give up. God is not like a slot machine. You pull the arm and out comes all of the blessings. And, and I, listen, I, I don't know what that means for you. I, there, if I were a different kind of preacher, I would give you a promise that if you will sow into a certain thing that you will be blessed automatically. But no, God says you pray and you wait on the Lord and you wait on the Lord. And by the way, Nehemiah was willing to be a part of the answer to his own prayer. He basically said with Isaiah, here am I. Use me, send me. Let's move on to the second thing. To serve God realistically and effectively, you must learn to work with others. You know, uh, in chapter 2, we read it a minute ago. 
Nehemiah's um, words with, with the king are absolutely exemplary. He knew who he was. He was the cupbearer to the king. And, and I guess you could say this. This is an old saying. He feared man, even the king, so little because he feared God so much. Now, I don't know that you noticed it, but look in chapter 2 and verse 4 again. It was almost a throwaway line, but I, I, I saw this and I thought, this is really, this is a picture of what it, it ought to be for you and for me. Chapter 2, verse 4, then the king said to me, what are you asking of me? What are you requesting? So, he's, he's already gotten it out. He was transparent. He deferred. The king says, what are you asking me to do? And what does Nehemiah do? He sends up some smoke. He shoots up a quick prayer. I, I, I see this as so powerfully applicable to us. He did that because the pattern of his life was deep, consistent, and intercessory prayer for his people. And that was what he did normally. And this kind of prayer that we just talked about spilled over into his daily life. And the first thing he did was to pray to God. Now, that, that, is, that is so instructive to me, again, personally. And I would ask you, when you're faced with a situation that you're not sure about, that may be well beyond yourself, is your first thought out of a, 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 out of a prayer life that is consistent and deep is your first thought to send up some smoke and say, Lord, help me. And it may be in class you're asked something or you're confronted with something at work or, or something happens in a relationship and all the rest of that. And out of that, that prayer life that you have developed, it is automatic that you just pray before the Lord, Lord, help me. I do that a lot. My guess is that there are a lot of people who do that in this room. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'll already do something and I, I have to say, Lord, forgive me. But if we develop that kind of discipline to say, Lord, help me. Uh, you know, First Thessalonians, we preached through that a little while ago. Pray without ceasing. I think that's what it is. So, so it's not a life of just these little popcorn prayers, and that's all we're talking about. It is a consistent, quiet time, devotional time, whatever you want to label it. It is a consistent time in the Lord on a, on, on a daily basis even, out of which the popcorn prayers come. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. There's another thing that I see in the life of Nehemiah immediately the king knew that something was wrong. Well, how do, how do you think he knew? I think because normally that Nehemiah was a joy-filled person and that, that just grew out of his own devotional life, his own life with the Lord, so that his burden that he had been carrying now for four months finally came out. And the king saw it, and he said, Nehemiah, you're not your normal joy-filled self. Something is wrong. 
This is a burden of your heart. And he was able to communicate with the king. What this does in chapter 2, it, it, it really demonstrates a well-thought-out conversation that was very intentional with the king, but also very humble. Boy, what a lesson for us. Have a burden. Enter into prayer that is consistent. Prayer that is every day the popcorn kind of prayer when you need help in the moment. And then out of that, you communicate with honesty and with humility. You know, I could stop right there, give an invitation, and if, if husbands and wives heard that, really heard that, here, today, it would revolutionize marriages if they would communicate like Nehemiah did. Uh, I want to be more like Nehemiah. I've had flashes where I was able to, but I'm afraid more often than not, and there's the one that I live closest to and with every day, day in and day out, and, and she would verify that. I, I, I try, but there are times w- when I don't live like this. I'm, I'm, I'm quick to say something, maybe even biting, sarcastic, all the rest of that. This is something, no matter how long you've been married or how long you have, you have lived in the Lord, I don't think you're going to arrive this side of heaven. But I will tell you, I told a story this morning in our ABF class. It was kind of spontaneous. It was about Jan and, and me and, and an argument and, and, and how the, the Lord, with that little popcorn prayer, helped me. I, I, I had down a, another story and um, I, I don't tell a lot of stories about my kids. I did when they were younger because the material was a lot fresher. But I, I'm going to tell a, a, a story about um, uh, my oldest, Jason, who's here today. He's sitting back there going, uh-oh, what's he going to say? And uh, it, it, was, it was one of those things where the, um, just the whole situation and the response uh, was, I, I think it was, it was spirit-led. I know it was spirit-led. But Jason came home. He was a senior in high school, extremely responsible young man. And uh, he said, hey, Dad, going camping this weekend. I said, oh, great. I mean, that was something they did all the time. And uh, so I said, well, uh, who all's going? And he named off his, his friends, all great young men, walking with the Lord and all the rest of that. And then he started naming the names of some young ladies. And uh, I said, whoa, whoa, what? And these, these were great young ladies too. And, and I said, um, uh, Time out, time out. I said, do you see anything that might be wrong with that? He said, and, and, and I mean, he's, it, it was an honest answer. Dad, it's me. 
And I said, I know, and I know I can trust you. But does the Bible also say to avoid the very appearance of evil? And we, we, we were talking back and forth, and the conversation started escalating. It became a, a thing where he didn't believe that I was trusting him, and I was trying to help him to see otherwise, and so it began to escalate and escalate. And, and, and he's a grown young man at, at this point. So I prayed. I said, Lord, help me on this. And I, it really was just total reaction. It, I wasn't even thinking about it, but we were standing across from each other on the bar, and I reached out my hand, and I took hold of his forearm. Touch. And I lowered my voice, and I said, Son, um, would, you, would you just trust me on this? Just trust me on this. I have your best interests at heart. And it was like, it was like the, all of the air of, of uh, the escalation went out. And he lowered his voice and he said, yeah, Dad. We'll, we'll, we'll change the arrangements. Now, I, I just tell that story. Sometimes it doesn't work out quite like that. But, but could it be that one reason is that we've never done the things that lead up to that kind of thing? Relationship has to be there, but relationship is built on seeing the burden, prayer, ongoing, deep, deep prayer, crying out to God, with fasting sometimes. And then learning to work with other people. I learned, at least in that case, a gentle answer really does turn away wrath. Hmm. Let's go on to the last one. Persecution. Okay, you, you've done everything right. This is what God, God has you on a mission. Okay, what's your mission? For Nehemiah, it was going and building the, the walls and, and the gates. Simple, right? And all of a sudden, um, he realized there's no winning. You're not going to win without working and warring. And you have to ask the question, why are Christians so surprised that the world acts like the world? So, here it is. You say, I'm going to arise and build. And then fill in the blank with whatever it is. I'm going to arise and build a great and godly marriage. I'm going to arise and build a life of purity. I'm going to arise and build and, and just, just go down the line with, with family, extended family, church, all the rest. And every time that you do that, there will be opposition. I, I've said this over and over again. Remember, there are really only two religions in the world. Romans 1.25 clearly says that. You're either going to worship and serve the creature or you're going to worship and serve the creator. Somebody says to you, I'm an atheist. No, they're not. They're of that religion that worships and serves themselves. The creature rather than the creator. So out of that, we have to remember that people are not neutral. 
I'm talking about people in the world. You may get away with it for, for a while, somebody being nice to you as a Christian when you're out there sharing your faith or whatever the case may be, or you're taking a stand for a, a sanctity of marriage, or you're taking a stand in, within our church, you're saying it's important to us because the Bible says it's important to God, sanctity of life, all of the rest of those kinds of things. And at one point or another, the world is probably going to be hostile towards you. And Paul gives it later in the book of Romans. For the mind that is set on the flesh, remember that's the, the other religion, that's the, that's the majority religion. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Oh, that's interesting. You've been taught that they're neutral. No, they're not. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And ever since the garden, we find that the seed of the serpent is always going to be opposed to the seed of the woman. So here it is. God calls you to do a work for Him, to build whatever it is you want to build. Know that you will face opposition. So what do you need to do in the whole thing as we come to the end of chapter 2? It's all too quick. But what do we pull out of this the fact that there is fallenness on a global scale. I'm going to give you two things for the rebuilding of the wall. We'll talk about these as we go through the rest of the book of Nehemiah. And, and really, this, this relates to those of you, I, I addressed this at the very beginning, who don't know Jesus Christ. And if you've come into a relationship with Him, then you, you are His child. And you continue as you've begun. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. You you put away those things that once attracted you. And then Colossians 3, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So those are practical applications. Did you get them? Tearing down walls, building walls. That's your homework this week. Be aware. Somebody tells you there's a wall that needs to be torn down and there's another wall that needs to be reconstructed. Then you go to prayer and you wait on God. You be patient with what He is doing in your life. And then you learn to communicate. Work with other people. May not always work out the way you want it, but at least you will have done everything you can do. And then to realize that there will always be opposition. Think again of how Jesus is so like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was willing to leave his prominent position with the king to rescue his kinsmen. So was Jesus. Nehemiah lamented and prayed over the sad condition of God's people. So does Jesus. Jesus was and is passionate for the purity of his people. He was the wall builder. I said Jesus, I meant Nehemiah, but so was Jesus. He saw the devastation and the brokenness that sin had brought, 
and he came to this earth to rebuild. And as we said last week, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and Jesus ultimately was the cupbearer. Instead of let this cup pass from me, he willingly took the cup of the punishment of Almighty God for sinful humanity. If you haven't experienced that today, repent, believe in Jesus. Take up your cross, follow him, and keep seeking the things above. Father, I thank you for uh, the ways of your word. I thank you that Nehemiah is not only a type of the Messiah, but also that he is an example. Lord, I don't think I'm ever going to attain to the things that Nehemiah did and the way that he did them, but Lord, I thank you that um, at every stage of life, as long as you give me breath and life, that I can seek and pursue those things which please you. So, Father, help us. Help those who don't know you today here in this place or listening to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Help those of us who do know you to continue in repentance and faith so that we can bring you the maximum glory and honor and be a wall builder like Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.